Welcome to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. It's been nearly 100 years since women earned the right to vote. Now, more females are serving in Congress than ever before, but there's still a really long way to go. Of the Fortune 500 companies, just 5% have women CEOs. I think Facebook COO Sheryl Sandberg may have said it best when she said, I want every little girl who's bossy to be told instead she has leadership skills. This episode, we talked to two female leaders about the challenges, perceptions, and the opportunities for female leaders. Heidi Daniel is the president and CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. She oversees 22 Pratt locations across Baltimore City. Prior to Baltimore, Heidi served in leadership positions at libraries across the country. Heidi, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Megan. Heidi's also my boss. So So for people who don't know your background, talk about how you started getting involved in leadership positions within different libraries where you worked. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think I ever set out to be a leader. I definitely didn't decide when I was working (laughs) in my first library that I wanted to be CEO of anything. I actually really wanted to be a teen librarian. That Mm -hmm. was sort of my, um, the pinnacle of my success dream (laughs) when I started in libraries. And I was young. I was in my early 20s and I started in an outreach position doing outreach and community engagement. And, you know, I've always loved libraries, but that really gave me this angle into the work of a modern library. So I didn't come into libraries because I loved books and I loved organizing information, although I think all of that's important and I do love books. I actually started working in libraries because of my outgoing personality and my willingness to do non-traditional work in the community. So you didn't shush people. I didn't shush people. No. no. In fact, when I did first start working in an actual library as a reference librarian, I did receive a complaint that I was a little loud and laughed a lot. So <laughs> that was my first you were too clue. Happy. I was too happy. That was my first clue that maybe I should consider uh, leadership <laughs> because, you know, maybe I wasn't quiet enough to work in the library. Although I do think that that's a stereotype that is, oh, you know, yeah. dying rapidly in our industry. Thank I, goodness. Yes. There's no shushing buns any longer. We're very, <laughs> like, outgoing. Um, so I, I started in outreach and I was working my way um, up. And in Houston, I had an opportunity. Um, I went there as uh, an assistant manager, and I had an opportunity to take over teen programming, then eventually children's programming. And um, as I, and then eventually I was overseeing some neighborhood branches. And as I was going through my career there, um, I think leadership came to me because I was willing to lead from wherever I was within the organization. Um, Definitely needed to understand how administration works and how to have a great relationship with administration. That's really key. Mm -hmm. But I was willing to, even when I wasn't in administration, I I was willing to help lead initiatives, um, volunteer to move things forward. I was really interested in how I could develop other people to also help lead initiatives Mm -hmm. um, and build the capacity for the organization. And that's how I became interested in, in leadership when I began to see that that could become Um, path for me. So, you know, teen services was great and it was fascinating and fun for me to do in the beginning. But then as I became more and more interested in developing the capacity of my organization to serve its community, I realized that I was really leading my career to a higher level. Mm -hmm. 
Were there challenges, I guess, we're talking about women's leadership. Did you face any challenges specifically from being a woman or in that sort of first supervisory role? Yeah, I think that there are some differences because of the gender makeup of libraries in general. Sure. And I think that there are some similarities because I think as women, the way we approach leadership is different and that we face some challenges that are unique to our gender. So, yes, I think for me, we are working in an organization in an industry that is predominantly female sure. and is predominantly Caucasian. So um, the library industry struggles pretty heavily with um, recruitment and equity and making sure that we're diverse. We really need to do a better job of attracting librarians of color. It's something that we should constantly be talking about. I think that's, mm-hmm. for us, a big, unique challenge. Um more so than gender. But what's interesting is there's not a lot of great current data, but um, studies have shown, older studies have shown that although males make up a much smaller minority of the uh, workforce in libraries, Mm -hmm. they are higher paid and they also tend to take leadership roles much more quickly mm-hmm. and tend to make up leadership more so than women, which is interesting because it's a female-dominated industry. But up until probably 10, 20 years ago, the majority of directors were still men and um, the majority of men were being paid more. So now females are more, do make up more director positions than males. But um, there's not a lot of great current data on that. So I'd love to see someone do a current study on to see if we've made progress there. I think for me, particular challenges were on the things that many women struggle with in leadership. So getting rid of the imposter syndrome, uh, you know, I think that's been talked about a lot in literature and I always find it fascinating is that idea that we tend to believe that we don't belong in the room that Mm -hmm. we're in that we don't naturally own our position um, at the leadership table or the suite that we doubt ourselves sure. and feel like at any minute someone's going to figure out that I shouldn't be in this room. I was recently having a conversation with um, an old colleague and they asked me actually, like, do you ever look around and think, wow, I can't believe where I am? And I, I thought to myself, you know, I do all the time. I, I look around and I think, wow, how did I get to this room? Or, mm-hmm. wow, I can't believe this person wants to talk to me. Why would they want to talk to me? And then I realized, of course they want to talk to me. I'm a leader in my industry. I'm a leader in my organization, in my city. But I think for women, our tendency is to assume that, you know, we don't hold that power. And we, sure. de- we definitely can and we definitely do. So I think there's still a lot of that that we feel. And just the way women approach leadership is different. So it may be seen as um, a weaker position for, you know, from the traditional male-dominated standards of leadership to come in and say, you know, I want to build trust. I want to build um, a place where people can be vulnerable and can have honest, open conversations and transparency. I think that those are leadership qualities that are really important and come more naturally to women, but still aren't thought of as um, necessarily strengths. Mm-hmm. I was listening to a TED Talk from Sheryl Sandberg, so yeah. I listen to her a lot. But um, And it was interesting. She talked—she always does—she's the one who does lean in with right. Facebook and all that. Um, and it was very interesting listening to her because she said she was in a meeting one day, and there's, you know, the main table. Everyone was going to the main table. And then there are those chairs that are sort of towards the outside of the table. And she said one of her um, colleagues brought people—brought uh, two women with him that were sort of on the same level 
table as he was, and he sat at the main table, and they sat at the chairs sort of behind him. And she had to say to them, like, no, sit at sit at the main table. And I think right. sometimes that's just a tendency. Yeah, it's back. just like women do have a tendency to do that. Um, and I think we also have a tendency to think, well, I should only apply for jobs that I have experience in, as opposed to saying, I'm going to apply for the job I know I'm capable of doing. Uh, studies show that women don't apply for jobs that they don't have experience in, and men do. And so that's another reason why men perhaps move up faster. Um, Sheryl Sandberg's interesting because I read Lean In a number of years ago when it first was published. Sure. And, you know, I think it's fascinating, but I was just having this conversation with someone about it being a book that also comes from a place of privilege because it's easy to say you can oh, lean in. You know, if you're wealthy and uh, Caucasian, I think we still need to talk about the fact that, you know, women of color don't see the same strides in the workplace as white women do. Mm -hmm. And I think until we're all being uplifted, women leaders can't really own that leadership until we're helping everyone, right? Mm -hmm. Until our, our sisters are equal with us, whether whatever our race or skin color. Um, but Sheryl Sandberg's book did make a point that always stuck in my mind, which was that she said, we need to see not only more women in the boardroom, but more men in the carpool lane. And I think for me as a mother, that's been key is the fact that I have a husband who I'm fortunate and privileged enough to have a husband who is willing to do the majority of childcare. So I, my husband's a stay-at-home dad. Mm -hmm. And so I'm often out in the community until really late at night. And that wouldn't be possible if I didn't have someone willing to pull the equal weight at home. So I think until we're more comfortable as a society with gender roles being more evenly divided and saying this work could be for men or women, then, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's hard for us to make movement forward. And of course, the other leadership challenge I have is as a mother is constant mommy guilt about the fact that I'm sure. away. I actually specifically did not ask you a question where people always say like, how do you do the work-life balance? Because they don't ask men <laughs> right. that question. They never ask they men never that question. They never ask a man who has children that they question. They don't. And honestly, I was just talking to someone the other day about how I'm still, even though my husband's present, you know, very present and active in our kids' lives, for most care providers, I'm still the first phone call. Like sure. it's still, you know, we call the mom first because that's just how our society is structured. Mm -hmm. And until we're really willing to tear apart those, you know, gender assignments, I think it's hard for women because you can't do it all. You just can't. No one can. And men aren't expected to. And, and neither are we. And, you know, we were, I was talking to a friend of mine who's also a successful career woman. And she was saying, I was saying I felt guilty because I haven't gone to the pediatrician with my children um, mm -hmm. for their checkups that generally, unless it's, you know, I only go if it's an emergency and, and for some reason I need to be the one who goes. And they were saying, but that's really normal in households where, you know, it's a stay at home mother and a working, sure working, um, father oh, yeah. that no one would ever think that. And like, most likely the, there's no guilt there at all because that's, you know, the child's being taken care of and you're communicating with one another. It's not like there is any deficiency. There's nothing to feel guilty about. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I think we're so, that's so ingrained in us. Um, and there's really a culture of that still is pervasive about that. But yeah, you can't do it all. I don't pretend like I can. And sometimes <laughs> I show up to work with like, you know, yogurt stains because <laughs> like something was it going happens. on right before I left the house, yep. right? So, you know, you just accept that. I once had someone ask me like, how are you always so put together as a mom? And I'm like, oh, I'm totally faking it. You know, and I think that there's like, <laughs> as women, we have to like recognize that about one another mm -hmm. that, you know. Yeah, it's hard. Right. It is hard. Well, we have a lot more to talk about. The Free to Be More podcast, we'll be right back. Dive into a world of imagination at this year's Imagination Celebration, sponsored by Transamerica. 
It all kicks off Saturday, April 6th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. at the Maryland Historical Society. Face painting, crafts, and games, fun for the whole family. Then join in Imagination Celebration events all April long at all of Pratt's 22 locations. More details at prattlibrary.org. We're back with Heidi Daniel, president and CEO of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Heidi, we talked a little bit about the book Lean In. You read that. Were there any books, any um, either mentors or books or things that you looked at, people you looked at, things you read that helped influence and mold you as a leader as you were coming up through leadership ranks? Absolutely. So first, I would say I've been lucky enough to always have female mentors Mm -hmm. who really were great examples of leadership for me. Um, It started in the beginning of my career. My first ever boss in libraries was the director of programming outreach. And she was really focused on leading with love. She was um, the type of person who very much believed in wholehearted leadership and um, service to her community. And she was an artist and she brought that with her. to her work and let it influence her. And I think just watching how she approached leadership from who she was, she didn't try to mold herself into a specific type of leadership um, sort of mold that we think of Mm -hmm. and allowed herself to, you know, bring all of the emotions that made her a great person and let them lend itself to making her a great leader. And so I think that that really showed me a way to lead that I hadn't experienced before. It's easy to think of leaders as people who know everything, Mm -hmm. who are super self-confident and tough and serious. And (laughs) so if that was the only model I had seen, I would have counted myself out of leadership from the beginning because anyone who's worked with me knows that I very much bring who I am as a person to my leadership style, and I'm very authentic um, in how I approach everything I do. I don't know how to not be myself. So it was really refreshing to see that, oh, I don't have to shave away those pieces that make me a unique person to be a leader. Mm -hmm. I can bring those with me and use them as strengths. And I can also, it's okay not to know everything, and it's okay to admit that I don't know everything and to to talk it through with my team. And it it helps, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when, you know, I was in Houston, I had both um, a deputy director uh, who was a great mentor to me and their executive director has also been a mentor to me. And they were both examples of strong leadership styles in women and very different leadership styles and different from me as well. So I think um, being able to see these strengths in them really influenced me. Um, And I think you learn about how to lead from a lot of places. So those are specific workplace Mm -hmm. examples. But I think you also learn to lead from watching people you admire that are friends and family and um, watching them navigate differences. Um, So I think there's a lot of places to pull inspiration from. Um, I do read leadership books, although I don't read them quite as frequently as I probably should. But (laughs) (laughs) there have been a few that have... um, you know, really stood out to me. I think Start With Why is one book that stuck in my brain when I read it because it really spoke to, I think, the industry that I lead in particular. Mm-hmm. 
we have to wake up. It's just the idea of, of moving your organization to waking up every morning and thinking about why we're doing what we're doing mm-hmm. and inspiring people to do work based on the why as opposed to as opposed to the what and the how. So that's meaningful for me because if I just woke up every morning and thought about the details of my day, it's easy to feel like I can't manage this or it's easy to feel like, why am I doing this? Or, you know, it's just a bunch of meetings that I don't want to be in and it's Mm -hmm. politics and it's juggling my work and family balance. But then when I think about why I'm doing it, it all clears the path clears. And I know, right. I know why we're here. I know what the library is doing. I know why the library is here. And so keeping that in mind, I think is key to formulating any vision as a leader that you're going to share with your staff or with your team, because um, they need to feel that same inspiration. I want everyone I work with to wake up just as inspired as I am every single day. And so that why makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, Brene Brown is another person that I tend to read a lot. Mm -hmm. I just think her uh, leadership style and and her newest book, um, Dare to Lead, talks a lot about that sort of wholehearted leadership and, you know, addressing those underlying emotions that we have as leaders and saying it's okay to have them and, um, you know, how to bring them forward in positive ways and to not let the negative belief systems that we have influence us as leaders and how to shake away those. And I think for women particularly, that's really important. Um, So those are some of the leadership styles and books that have impacted me. Mm -hmm. You talk about having mentors. Um, I guess now you've been in a leadership role for a long time. So how important is it for you to now have mentees, the people that you can help bring up, the other women that you can help bring up and show how you got to where you got to? Yeah, that's really important to me. And um, I think it's looking at who can I help. And it's, again, looking back at who's missing in our industry. So Mm -hmm. I know that I would like to be mentoring women of color in particular to take on leadership roles in our organization and in our industry and in our city, because it's the voice that we're not hearing as often Mm -hmm. in our industry. Um, So I think for any woman leader, it's important to look around and think, who could I mentor? Who could I help? Who could I lend a hand to and bring up, right? Power isn't something that is finite. We don't have to hoard it to ourselves in order for it to be impactful. In fact, power becomes more impactful as we share it with other people. And I think that's key for leaders to keep in mind. And women kind of do that naturally, I think. I know you're the keynote speaker this year at the uh, Maryland Public Television Women's Leadership Forum. What are some of the key things I guess you're hoping to impart to some of those women that are trying to take on leadership roles or just at the very beginning of that process? I hope I can teach or share my experiences and people will understand that they need to just believe in themselves. You don't have to come from any particular place to be a leader. You don't have to have a specific title to be a leader. You know, growing up, I didn't know people who were CEOs. I didn't know people who were, I mean, for me growing up, I remember thinking, wow, if I could be a teacher, which Teachers are amazing. Oh, yeah. You know, I, that was an amazing goal for me. And mm-hmm. a librarian would have been an amazing goal. It is an amazing goal. Um, I wasn't looking at people who were CEOs sure. or heads of, you know, major companies. Well, and the and examples saying, really weren't there. The examples weren't there for me. So a lot of what I learned through leadership, I learned through watching people in those kind of key inspirational 
roles like teacher and librarian. And I think those are true leaders and they don't have to have the title CEO next to their name. Um, And I think that that's true for everyone. You lead from where you are and it's who you are as a person. And that if you want to lead a large company, a large organization, a large government institution, start with where you are today and be a leader in that role and move it forward from there. Mm -hmm. And everyone can do that. This is a really, I think, unique time for women as a whole um, with sort of the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement. What kind of impact do you think that will have going forward? I mean, the industry we're in now with libraries is a very uh, female-centered industry. I came from television news, and if you watch the news right now, you'll know that the Me Too movement was alive and well there. Um, So I guess culturally as a whole, what do you think this speaking out could potentially do for women 10, 15 years from now? I think it's going to change everything Mm -hmm. if we manage it correctly. So I think, first of all, it's, again, making sure that everyone's voices are at the table and that we're making room for people. I think it's empowering each other. I really, you know, it's also talking about the things we haven't been willing to talk about. Uh So even though the library is a female-dominated industry, it's not like it doesn't happen. And there's also a whole service provider customer dynamic that takes place that we need to think about and be cognizant of. And I think we're finally at a place where people are talking about it and taking it seriously and not, um, women are no longer brushed off as like, aren't you cute? Uh You know, I mean, well, it used I, to be that way. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, as a t- smaller yeah, female, petite, yes. <laughs> I tended to get it a lot when I was younger. Like, aren't you cute? You're so cute. And it's like, you know, I'm not, though. I'm serious. This is serious. Yes. And I think it's harder to brush women off now. You know, mm-hmm. you, it, our concerns are legitimate and should be taken seriously. And I think it's powerful, though, for men, too, because it gives us an opportunity to have a dialogue that really is better for everyone. Mm-hmm. We can all be better people through open, honest dialogue. And whether that's gender, race, sexuality, whatever the topic is, I think having these conversations, now is the time for us to be able to start opening up and talking about it. And it's what's going to move our whole society forward. I look at my children and I think they're going to be so much more comfortable talking about topics that were just not able to be addressed when I was younger. And I think it'll make them better, more compassionate, empathetic people. um, And hopefully you know, tolerant of, of other people's views and willing to, to hear and really listen. Mm-hmm. I think talking about it and having it not be a secret, uh, you know, something that happens that you just have to deal with. Like right. 10 years ago, I was a TV reporter and everyone calls you sweetheart and I have blonde hair. So they're like, oh, you're so cute. It was the same right. type of thing. And in this day and age, that doesn't happen. And part of it is that people are cognizant that that's not appropriate behavior where, and that's because people are talking about it. Right. And I think it's being cognizant of who you are, who Megan is, and what is Megan comfortable with? And how can I approach Megan as a person? Mm -hmm. And who am I? And what am I comfortable with? And how do I want people to approach me? And those are just topics that make us better as people and, and better relationships, recognizing that your experiences are legitimate and valid and make you a person. And I should respect that. I think that that just makes us better people. Mm-hmm. You are the mother of two kids. One yes. is a daughter. Yes. Um, so what do you hope, how you lead, what do you hope that imparts to your daughter as she's growing up as potentially a female leader? Right. So it's this is actually something I think about all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, my daughter is 
eight, and she has already a really strong personality. (laughs) She does. (laughs) Um, But I know that she watches how I interact with people, and I hope that she looks at that and sees leadership as, one, attainable for her, two, something that starts with compassion and understanding and empathy and listening and authenticity. And I hope that those are the characteristics she's seen in me as as a leader. And I think my daughter can look and see that there are all kinds of roles available for her. Um, She once asked me, what if she didn't want to go to work? And I said, well, that's fine. That's a choice that mm-hmm. you can make. And it's a you know really valid choice. And it might be great for you and for your family. And I said, but you have to keep in mind that that doesn't mean that you're just not working because you have a lot of responsibility then at home. Mm-hmm. You're managing, you're like CEO of a household. You're managing a household. And she said, oh, well, I better find a job then. <laughs> and I said, right. So, I mean, I think it's great because she sees all kinds of options available for her. So she knows that she can be the CEO. She, she she talks about that all the time. What 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 does she want to lead? What does she want to do? Mm-hmm. And that is a definite possibility for her. And she also talks about how can I help my friends? I think that's one of the things that I value most in my daughter is that I've seen her be incredibly compassionate to her friends and um that's a characteristic that I worry about making sure that she has and that she's um, empowering her friends and respectful. So I see those characteristics being developed in her and it makes me really happy and really hopeful. She's also, you know, my daughter is a character. She's decided recently to cut her hair short and dye it purple. (laughs) And you know what? We let her because I want her to be really comfortable in who she is. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of cute and she's eight. And, you know, what other time in your life can you decide to just cut your hair short and dye it purple? Yeah, So. (laughs) So, you know, I think seeing that independence in her and it's not what am I being shown you know she doesn't feel like she has to have long curly hair yes. you, you know so she's seen other ways of being and really we encourage her to think about who she wants to be for her independence is so important and it really it's is nice to see that you know that generation coming up now the sky's the limit. It really they is. really believe it. Absolutely. And then I have a son who's 10. And I think um, I, he brought home a paper recently that just literally made my heart burst because it was like list family members or friends who have taught you things that you're thankful for. And next to his dad, he listed, um, he's taught me to be kind to others. And then next to his mother, next to me, he wrote, she's taught me to respect all women. And I mean, that just like, I was like, score, I've done something right. (laughs) You're like, that is a major parenting accomplishment. Right, exactly. So hopefully that carries forward with him as a man. Mm -hmm. Well, Heidi Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back. The Free to Be More podcast is sponsored by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Stream your favorite TV shows and the latest music albums with Hoopla Digital. All you need is a Pratt Library card to access some of the latest media without leaving your home. You can download ebooks with no wait time. Check out Hoopla Digital at prattlibrary.org. Nearly 18,000 people watch her every move on Instagram. And when Alicia January isn't running the Discover Charm City IG account or coordinating marketing and communications for the historic Charles Street Association, she's bringing Baltimore women together for gal pal events. Alicia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. This is so exciting. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about Discover Charm City and how you started that. 
So Discover Charm City, it really just started because I moved here and I I knew I wasn't exploring Baltimore the way that I should. Mm-hmm. I lived in Federal Hill and I literally stayed there. <laughs> in um, the bubble. <laughs> absolutely. And then um, Instagram started becoming popular and I just started researching every day different things for me to go check out. So I started posting. I made up this random name, <laughs> Discover Charm City, and I realized that um, uh, people just started following it. But it was purely because I was posting, um, you know, flyers Mm -hmm. for what was going on at different, you know, institutions, um, the museums, restaurants here. And it just gained popularity. So um, it's been enjoyable. I love it because I'm able to continue to discover what Baltimore has to offer. Mm -hmm. And you're able to, I guess, help other people that maybe are stuck in the bubble like you were. Absolutely. Um, I had no idea that, you know, more people felt the same way that I did. They just didn't know how to research and find what was going on. And so Instagram was a great tool for me to just post and allow people to see and make the decision to, you know, get out of their comfort zone and go check these places out. Mm -hmm. The Instagram community, even um, here in Baltimore, there are a lot of really strong females in that Instagram community. How have you sort of bonded with them um, and how do you guys empower each other? Yeah, I mean, there's some really awesome women here in the city doing um, great things. So we all tend to be pretty supportive of each other, especially on Instagram. We like to like each other's pictures, comments, um, set up meetups where we can actually meet in real life and hopefully connect. Mm -hmm. What is that, um, you know, people give the title like influencer. What does that really mean, I think, to you? So to me, the word influencer... You know, I struggle with that word because I think everyone is an influencer. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you're not on Instagram, it doesn't mean you didn't go to a good restaurant and then tell your friend and then your friend goes to that restaurant also. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, um, you know, building a community and hopefully influencing people to do something positive also. Mm -hmm. As an influencer, I know you work a little bit with Baltimore Magazine. There was an issue, I think, about like a year ago, their body issue. Um, and I loved what you said because in so many ways, I feel like women historically and still today have been judged on what they look like, their appearance. But how do you sort of view that? You know, that article, um, you know, when I was getting interviewed, I cried like a baby. <laughs> Because it's something that's very emotional and it's something that you personally, you know, are dealing with. And for me personally, it just, I had just gained a lot of weight and I felt um, just weird, you know, and you don't really know how to explain it. But I also realized that my Instagram was growing in popularity. I'm showing myself, I'm still exploring, and it just proved to me that it doesn't matter. Like, it's all about your heart and your intentions. And if you're kind and um, people, honestly, the right people won't care about that kind of stuff. So I just continue to, you know, I want to be healthy, but learning to not focus so much on the external and really focus on being um, true to myself. I like what you said, and I sort of do the same thing, too. I, you know— we get down on ourselves, we do this. And then I think like, well, I ran four miles this morning. Like my legs can run four miles. Maybe they don't look like Giselle's legs, but they can make it. And you have to be proud of that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, before that interview, I called my grandma and I was just crying because I just felt so, I was just getting so down on myself. And she just reminded me that, you know, I have a beautiful heart and, you know, you're able to use those arms to hug your friends. You're able to walk and, um, you know, explore the city. So I just needed to remember those things and not focus so much on 
things that just don't matter. Mm-hmm. Has it been difficult, I guess, as the Instagram account grows, and maybe you didn't in the beginning think it would grow that way, to you're really putting yourself out there? Oh, absolutely. I had no idea that the Instagram would grow. And, um, you know, in the beginning, I never showed myself. So no one actually knew Mm. who was behind the Discover Charm City page. And then, um, actually, my friends kind of encouraged me to post myself because people wanted to have an actual connection to who's running that page. So I did. Um, As I continue to... um, you know, show myself more, I know that once I hit a certain point, it could, you know, you start getting negative comments, things like that. But mm-hmm. I just try not to think about that yeah, too much because, you know, it, it really could be a point where you say, I'm not going to do this, but I know that the page is very important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's more, you know, will help me make it through. Mm-hmm. Social media, especially in the past year or two, has really resulted in, I feel like, a culture shift, specifically with the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement. Talk to me about, I guess, the power of social media within those movements and what you hope in the future for it. Social media is a very powerful tool, especially if it's used correctly. Any of the campaigns that are going on with the Me Too, just getting people more comfortable and knowing that okay for you to tell your story and there are people out there who have experienced things just like you and you're not alone and to speak your truth. And so, you know, through Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, these women are able to find support. And I can't, I mean, I've never experienced the things that I'm, you know, reading about, but it does allow me to understand how someone can feel and Mm -hmm. offer my hand and hope that I can, you know, help spread love. It's kind of brought about community in a whole different way. Oh, absolutely. Community, I mean, and this is off that subject, but through social media, I've been able to build a community here in Baltimore. Without it, I don't know how um, fast I would have been able to make new friends Mm -hmm. or um, if I would have continued exploring so much because at a certain point you do want to have that sense of community. Yeah. And here in Baltimore, um, it's really easy to do that. But I think social media has been a big, big help. Mm-hmm. Speaking of sort of forming that community, you started doing these gal pal events. So tell me, how did you even start thinking about doing that first one? So uh, after I decided I was, I didn't care who wanted to go explore with me, I knew that I needed to go explore. So mm-hmm. I started going to events by myself. When I did that, um, I'd meet a lady at you know, a meetup. I liked her. And then I'd go to another event and I'd meet another person. I'd, and I'd say, oh, these two women probably should meet. So um, after I met about 10 women at separate events, I decided to do a brunch. We met at a restaurant, brought those women there, and just was very open about what I hope would come from this. Um, I hope that you follow them on Instagram. I hope that you connect with them and find um, a time to grab coffee or go do yoga together or whatever it is that they like. And I realized that a lot of women, you know, once you leave college, it's very difficult to find friends as an adult. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So I just really wanted to focus on, listen, we're trying to make gal pals acquaintances. And if it grows to this becomes your best friend, that's awesome. But it's just nice to walk around Baltimore and wave at someone that you see at the farmer's market and say hi. Or, hey, you saw something like a talk that's happening at at the library and you want someone to go with you. And you've met someone that might be interested in that to be able to contact them. So those women 
have been a big help from that first brunch. They invited someone to the next event and it just continued to grow and community began to build mm-hmm. on a genuine level. And everyone knows that, you know, if you come to a Gal Poly event, it's a safe place for women to come together, walk up to another woman, say hi to her, learn something about her, and hopefully connect. You know, it sounds so simple, but it isn't. No, it's, it's not. not in a regular <laughs> social environment. No. But I just feel like in a lot of ways, society sort of pits women against each other. Absolutely. And it is really hard to find that sort of, like you call it, a safe space mm-hmm. where you can approach a stranger. I mean, Whenever I give my, you know, thank yous, I always say, hey, listen, if a woman, you know, gave you crap about (laughs) saying hi to her at one of these events, please let me know. Because that means that she's not ready to be a part of this. Mm -hmm. And I just want everyone to know that you can come here, potentially meet someone and leave feeling like you belonged, Mm -hmm. you know. And you can always learn something from other Absolutely. Absolutely. The biggest thing for me was making sure that, you know, I'm not focusing on just one type of woman. I wanted it to be inclusive of everyone and anyone who just had a feeling that they wanted to build community, they wanted to make new gal pals, and they wanted to, um, you know, basically step out of their comfort zone. Uh, I want them to be there and know that they're included. And the woman that, you know, might not have friends um, right now and is more shy, Mm -hmm. that it's okay for her to come too because someone's going to talk to her. Yes. Because there's somebody else that's been to a few of them, and someone did the same for them. Absolutely. I really encourage that. Mm -hmm. You are a female entrepreneur in Baltimore. So what are some of the challenges you've seen, the advantages? I mean, are there challenges being a female entrepreneur in the city? You know, I always try to stick to the positive when I think about Baltimore because— I whatever it is that you want to do here, I think it's possible mm-hmm. because uh, you're going to find that. Well, I find that people are willing to help mm-hmm. um, if you ask. <laughs> yep. And um, that's half the battle. Absolutely. And I just think that somebody knows someone that will be able to help you. And especially if you build that community, I think Baltimore is a place that really wants to support local makers, if you, whatever business it is that you are trying to build, I think that Baltimore is a place to do it. Um, So as a female entrepreneur, I think the thing that I'm learning most from other women in business is making sure that we take time for Mm self-care is probably the biggest struggle just because we just want to go, 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 go and prove something where we are burning ourselves out rather than asking for help. Yep. Um, and taking time to just stop. So, yeah. So, Alicia, if people want to follow you, get in touch with you, find out about Gal Pal events, how can they do that? Uh, the best way is through um, social media. So, uh-huh. Instagram. Uh, my Instagram account is at Discover Charm City. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Discover Charm City. Um, my email address is discovercharmcity at gmail.com. And I pretty much post everything on Instagram and try to promote it and give women enough time to, uh, you know, get ready for the tickets to release. There you go. We'll follow Alicia and get involved. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for so being much. With us. <laughs> I appreciate it. The Enoch Pratt Free Library and the National Aquarium are partnering up again for the Read to Reef Book Club. Every March and October, Baltimore area kids, fifth grade and under, can stop into a Pratt Library for a special bookmark. Read five aquatic-themed books and win tickets to the National Aquarium. Supplies are limited. More details at prattlibrary.org.
I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free to Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow the Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free to Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.